Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Passage of Scripture to begin with is a text, because I want us to go down through this 32nd chapter of Genesis at several verses, so you might like to hold your Bible open and observe the passages that I shall refer to and read them with me at that time. I'm going to do this just a little different than my normal preaching. This might be maybe even more teaching tonight than it is preaching. But it's the story of Jacob and his meeting God all alone out in the wilderness. I've given the title to the message, Alone with God. You remember that Jacob and Esau were brothers, twins, and as they grew up, Jacob wanted to have the birthright of the family to get his father's blessing, and his mother wanted him to have it. And through their conniving, they deceived their aged, blind father into believing that Jacob was in fact Esau, and he gave the blessing to Jacob instead of Esau. This caused such a problem, a rift between the brothers, that Jacob had to run away from home and go to his mother's family. There he grew up and He married two of the daughters, and the Lord blessed him in his relationship with his new family, with his father-in-law Laban, and his two wives, that is, uh, Jacob's wives, Laban's daughters. Laban was somewhat of a good businessman in that he tried to pay off his labor in produce, and so he agreed with Jacob that he could have as the pay for his labor all of the sheep and the cattle that were spotted. Of course, they just don't end up that way very often. And so he figured he had a pretty good deal, and Jacob agreed, and so many of the livestock then when they were born were spotted and his flocks grew There came a time in his life when Jacob felt that he had to leave his father-in-law and take his wives and his children, his flocks and his herds and his servants, and leave. But he selected a very peculiar time to make this decision, for his father-in-law was away. And while his father-in-law was gone, he decided now is the time to run. And that's exactly what he did. He gathered up all of his possessions and left. When Laban came back and discovered that his daughters and his grandchildren and his pretty near free labor had escaped and had gone, he followed after them, caught up with them. Not only did they leave with all the flocks and herds, but one of the daughters took the gods of Laban, the idols. So he was quite angry. In the 
discussion that took place when Laban caught up with the tribe. There was a search for the gods which could not be found. There was discussion over why he had done it the way he had. A discussion about whether he would return or would not return to his home. And finally Laban gave Jacob and his daughters and their children his blessing, kissed them goodbye, and went home. And Jacob sighed a sigh of relief. And here's where the sermon begins. He thought that he had really put it over on his father-in-law. He was good at putting things over on people. He'd done it well all of his life. He had deceived his own father. He had connived with his own brother. He had escaped uh, with what he wanted. And now he has escaped again with, with all of his herds and, and these two wives away from their father. And he thought that he had really done something marvelous. And then we began in verse 32. Jacob went on his way. Now if you can picture him in those words, smiling to himself, boy, I really did it this time. I succeeded in getting my way, all of these flocks. I succeeded in deceiving Laban to the point that he was willing to let me go. And he smiled as he went down the road. Jacob went on his way, but the last phrase of that first verse says, and the angel of God met him. Now things begin to change. There is a divine intervention in Jacob's life. The angels of God met him, and Jacob saw him, and he said, this is God's host. Well, at least he recognized that, that God was present. Now he realizes that as he leaves Laban and heads out into unknown territory that the day is coming very shortly when he's going to have to meet up with his brother Esau and settle matters with him. And although he has escaped from Laban and although he recognizes that God is present in the form of his angels with his band, he yet takes things into his own hands again and he sends messengers to Esau. And the messengers were instructed to tell Esau that his servant Jacob, that had been sojourning with Laban for all these years, now has come out from his uh, father-in-law with many oxen and many cattle and many sheep. But he is a wealthy man. He has servants of all kind. And say to Esau, I'd like to find grace in your sight. Let's kiss and make up. Let's forgive each other. Let's let bygones be bygones. Let's have no more hard feelings over what I did to you. He thought that that ought to be enough to simply say, well, let's forgive and forget and go on our way each without any interruption from the other. And the servants came back in the sixth verse, and they reported to Jacob, your brother has an army and he's coming after you. 400 men in his army. And he didn't take what we said very kindly. 
he's out to get you. Now, Jacob isn't so confident. He is a little bit concerned about what things are going to take place. In verse 7, the scripture says that Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Well, he ought to be. He ought to have been shaking in his boots. For he knew that he had deceived Esau. He knew that he had deceived Laman. He even thought he had deceived God to this point in time. For God had blessed him. And it would appear that if God is blessing you, you must be on God's side. But that isn't always the case. He felt good about himself until he realized that he was just about to the end of his rope. That he was not going to overcome his brother and his army by swift talking, by cunningness, by deceit, as he had been successful in days gone by. This I think we ought to realize. If we think that we have strength within ourselves to overcome the problems of our life, then we're in for a rude awakening as well. This is the problem that most of us face at some time or other. In thinking the way to resolve our problems is to take things into our own hand and do them our way. And we'll discover somewhere along the line that that's not going to work. And we may have to go through a situation just like Jacob before we actually wake to the facts. All right, let's see what else he did. He was distressed. Now what's he going to do? Where is he going to turn for help? Because here comes an army of 400 men. Well, he did like most of us do when we get ourselves in trouble. Eventually we fall on our knees and start praying. Now that's good. It's bad in that we wait that long to fall on our knees. It's good that we recognize that we've got to come to that point. Jacob finally realized that he had exhausted his own abilities. And he's going to have to depend on the Lord. The tragedy of his life is that he spent all of his productive years, so many of them, in believing that strength was in himself. And he didn't depend upon God for anything. Think in your own mind of how you have done it. As I will think in my mind of how I have done it. And only when we come to that point, when we don't see any other way out, do we ask the Lord's guidance. Now let's look at his prayer. Verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return into thy country. Now this is interesting to me. Look what he does. He pleads with God to say, God, it was your purpose for me to leave Laban and go over here to this strange country. You said to me, return into your country. I'm not doing it because I wanted to. I am doing it because you asked me to. What was he doing but putting the blame for his own plight back on God? How many times have you and I blamed God for where we are? and for what we are, and for what our problems are. 
This is what Jacob did. He blamed God. And he said, look, God, it is your purpose. You told me to return to my own country. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just obeying you. Now I'm in trouble. All right, verse 10, he makes another plea. He says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown unto thy servant. For this my staff I passed over, for with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. What is he doing but saying, Lord, I came this way once, and you blessed me, and I'm going back home like you told me to. I'm pleading for the province of God to come into the picture, for God's blessings now upon him because of his obedience. I'm not worthy to be blessed, but I'm doing your will, and therefore you ought to bless me. Verse 11, then he prays for protection. He says, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother. Why should Jacob ask God to protect him now? Did he not set up the circumstances by which he got himself into this condition? Did he not deceive his brother Esau way back there? Is he not now getting his just desserts, as we say? I think probably the time that we pray the hardest is the time that we get ourselves into difficulty and then can't get out. And we want bailed out. And we want God to bail us out. And that's exactly what Jacob was doing. He pleads now for God's protection. He had no right to plead that, but he pleaded anyway. Verse 12, he makes a fourth plea. He said, Thou said, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Lord, you promised me that you would make me a great nation. And now I'm about to come to an end because Esau is coming to destroy me and my family and my children and there will be nothing left. Lord, you promised. There's one good thing about that. And that is the Lord delights in being reminded that he promised. The times that I remember when my children came to me and got what they wanted were those times when they came and said, Dad, you promised. They had me around their finger if they ever said that. They could get anything out of me they wanted if they reminded me I promised. Aren't you the same? Can you have your child come up to you and say, Mom, you promised and then go back on your promise God loves that kind of thing just like we love it I loved it when my kids came up to me and said dad you promised remember yes I remember and we played a little game of no I, I don't remember that and they would go through the spiel of how I promised them and what I said I knew it all the time but I love to hear them say, Dad, you promised. Our Father loves to hear us come to him and claim his promises that he has given to us. He said, 
Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that there is not room enough to contain. Dad, you promised! I wouldn't suggest we call him Dad. I think we better say Father in this case. Be a little more formal. He wants us to claim his promises and Jacob had been promised and Jacob now is claiming the promise that God had given him. Well, you would think now that Jacob is far enough along to, to accept the conditions and depend upon God to see him through. Well, now he's not done yet trying for himself. Just as an added security, he decides that he's going to send gifts to his brother. And so he takes some servants and he gives to each one of these servants. You'll find that down in verse 14 and following. A whole lot of livestock that would, in, that would make me envious if I were a farmer just to get one group of these. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes for you kids, that's sheep female sheep, and 20 rams, 30 milk camels and their colts, 40 cattle and 10 bulls, and 20 she-asses, female asses, and 10 of their foals. And he put these in groups, and he sent them down, wave after wave. One group would go, and they would meet Esau, and Esau would say, where did these come from? And they say, oh, they're gifts from, from our uh, master Jacob, and they're for you. And a little while later, here would come another group and another group. He was softening up Esau for the kill. One thing he did right in this, that is that he attempted to get right with his brother. I want to suggest one thing here. And that is, if we're going to be right with God, we're going to first have to be right with our brethren. If we have problems with each other, if we have problems with our neighbors, if we have problems with strangers, the Lord said if you bring your gift to the altar, and when you get up to the altar there, remember that there is something wrong between you and your brother. Leave your gift and go and make it right and then come back and make your offering. This is important for us to realize that if we're going to be right with God, we're going to be right with our fellow men. All right, jump all the way over to verse 24. Jacob that night, just prior to verse 24, as an added precaution again, divides his family. One of his wives and her children go one way. The other wife and her children go the other with their servants, and he divided the livestock as well. And the idea was that if Esau came, maybe, maybe one group would escape. This was his precaution. He might lose half of what he owned and half his family, but the other part would be saved. He took them and he sent them away, and then we come to the point of the message, he was left alone. It's difficult to be alone. Some of you have experienced that, and it's not a good thing to be alone. 
except there are times when it's very good to be alone with God. And we're not alone enough with Him. I think one of the reasons that teenagers like loud music, and I, I speculate on this, those of you who are in that bracket can take me to task if you want, is that you don't want to be alone with your thoughts. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. I want to go over to 1 Kings for a verse, chapter 19. Verse 11. The Lord is talking to Elijah. Elijah has just complained that this is right after the trouble that he had with the 400 prophets of Baal. And he's complained now that he is the only one left and he's all alone. And Verse 11, and he said, that is the Lord said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice and it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and behold there came a voice unto him and said what are you doing here Elijah you'll not read the rest of it but my point is to make this notation Elijah thought that he would hear the voice of the Lord in the great earthquake in the mighty winds, in the great fire, in the magnificent, marvelous things of nature. But he wasn't there. He found God in a very, very quiet, small voice when God told him to be still. We don't want to be still. Because it brings us too close to talking with God. And we don't want to talk with God. Here alone, just across a little stream that he could wade across, Jacob spent that night alone with God in the quietness of the night. And he prayed. There was nobody around. It was still. The television wasn't playing. The radio was off. The traffic was gone. The wind wasn't even blowing. The lightning wasn't striking. Nothing but the quiet shine of the stars above and the calm ripple of the little brook. And Jacob was alone with his thoughts and with God. He reviewed his life. He wrestled in his own mind and heart the things that were problem him. And 
God came by. Let me suggest to you, if you want to get near to God, get off alone somewhere, and as we sing, let go and let God. Get out of the noise and the hustle and bustle of life and be quiet. Just be quiet. Turn yourself over to the Lord and he'll speak to you. Something happened to Jacob that night. He wrestled with an angel. All night. You can interpret this however you want. But remember, he was reviewing his life in relationship to God and he was not right with God. And it was disturbing him. And he wanted to be right with God. And they wrestled until the break of day, physically wrestling. And verse 25 says, And when he saw that he prevailed, that is, uh, that the angel prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh went out of joint as he wrestled with him. I want to suggest something to you here. Before Jacob could be saved, he had to be broken. Now follow this thinking through the rest of the message. Jacob was wrestling with God and trying to have his own way until he was brought to a point that he was devastated, that he was broken, that he recognized his incapability to go any further, that he gave in. And listen to what God had to say. There comes time in our life when God has to break us before he can save us. God has to break us before he can bless us. Amen. If you have not been broken, you have an experience yet to come. Matthew 22:37 says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This Jacob had not done. He was wanting God to do it his way. He was not yet willing to do it God's way. And this is the difference between a man who is saved and a man who is yet lost. Jacob was yet lost, for he had not turned his life over to God. You remember that Jesus sat with his disciples around the campfire, I think, after his resurrection. And Jesus turned to Peter, and he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, I love you. A little bit later, Jesus said to Peter again, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. A little later, Jesus said again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. You know I love you. Yes, the Lord knew he loved him. But Peter needed to know that he loved him. 
Jesus knows if you love him, but do you know whether you love him or not? Have you been brought to that point in your life when you have been broken? Peter came to that point. You remember in the upper room and following, Peter was going to do so many marvelous things. He was going to go wherever the Lord went, to prison, to death, you name it, that Peter would be there. But on that night of the crucifixion, Peter said to the little girl who stood by the fireside and said, oh, you're one of his. And he said, I do not know the man. And Jesus said, before this night is over, Peter, you will have denied me three times. And he did just that very thing. He did that very thing. And Peter was broken and went out and wept bitterly. Until then, Peter was not usable until he was broken. Do you love me? I'm afraid many of us respond to that very question the same way I heard of a married couple. The wife asked her husband, who was not very talkative about love, she said, do you love me? And his response was, I married you, didn't I? That's our response many times to the Lord. That's not the response we need when he needs. All right, let's notice something else. In verse 26, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Here is Peter persevering. Folks, many times we pray unto God that our prayers are so shallow that we don't stick with it. We pray once and forget it. But the Lord expects us to stay with it, persevere, and pray again and again and again until the Lord has answered our prayer. It's not that the Lord needs to get in the mood, but the Lord needs us to be prepared to receive the answer. He persevered. And in verse 27, and the Lord of the angel, the Lord said unto him, What is your name? Now why should he ask that? He knew his name was Jacob. Jacob knew his own name. But remember, Jacob lied about his name one time. To his father, when his father felt his arms and discovered that they were very hairy like Esau, and his father said, Who are you? And Jacob said, I am your eldest son Esau. He lied. His father said, Well, your voice isn't Esau's, but you feel like him. Deceived him. Now then, Jacob is going to have to answer again, what is your name? Now is he going to lie this time? And this time he says, my name is Jacob. And the Lord said, no, you're not going to be Jacob any longer, but you're now going to be called Israel because you have power with God. This is his point of conversion. This is a point at which he becomes usable. What is your name? My name is Jacob. No, you have persevered with God. You have power with God and you have power with men. You will no longer be called Jacob. You will be called Israel. Jacob says, what's your name? And the Lord answers, 
Wherefore is it, in verse 29, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? Let me put that in common English that we would say it today. The Lord is saying, do you really need to ask? Now, Jacob didn't need to ask. He knew it was God. He's now broken. He's now ready to be used. The angel departs, and Jacob discovers that the day is dawning, and he makes his way back across the little stream. But this time, he's not going with a haughty attitude, with his head in the air. This time, he's gone leaning on a crutch, crippling along back over to his family for his uh, hip had been put out of joint. He had been broken. And the family sees him coming, hobbling along. And they run out, all of these children, to meet their father. And the two wives run out to meet their husband. And they see him broken and in distress and leaning upon that crutch as he hobbles back across to his family. And they say to him, what has happened to you? And he responds, I met God and I will never walk the same again. A new man came back across the brook. He went over Jacob. He came back Israel. We need to be new people so that the Lord can use us. In the quiet of your room, or on the hillside, or wherever you might be, in the calm of your life, turn off the noise. Go across the little brook in your mind and heart. Spend some time with God. Wrestle with Him if you must. Wrestle all night if you need be, if need be. Maybe he'll break you and me so that when we come back across our own little brook, we may be walking with a king, but we'll know we've been with God and we'll never walk the same again. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.